Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Uh, it's great to see all of you here today. I, w- I want us to take our Bibles and go to the book of John chapter 6. Book of John chapter 6. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. First, I just want to tell you, you know, you're God's gift. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. You are God's gift. You're God's yeah. gift to Jesus, matter of fact. A lot of times the term God's gift to someone is usually speaking of somebody who's arrogant. <clears throat> oh, he thinks he's God's gift to women or whatever. But today, I want you to walk out of here with this understanding that you are God's gift. Yeah. Um, a very precious gift that he deems precious and, and, and worthy enough to give to his son. But uh, as you're turning over John chapter 6, there was this ventriloquist um, who had come to this community of farmers and was doing a comedy show, and he had a little dummy sitting on his lap, and he's uh, going off on farmers. I mean, just making fun of them, making fun of their intelligence, and just finally this farmer had had enough of that. He's all these insults, thinking, why would you come to a farm community and do this? So he stands up and says, hey, listen, I'll have you know, sir, I'm offended by by what's being said here today. He said, you know, farmers, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have food on the table. And besides that, there are a lot of things that we have to know. You know, we, we have to know the mineral content of the soil and what fertilizers to use at what season and pesticide control and the harvesting conditions and all of those things. And the ventriloquist, you know, heard the farmer and felt pretty bad about it. And so he said, you know what, I'm sorry, sir. I, I really, these were just jokes. I really wasn't trying to insult the intelligence of the farmer. And the farmer looked at the ventriloquist and said, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to that little man on your lap. <laughs> yeah, okay. <clears throat> Let's go to John 6 now. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that most people don't believe. As a matter of fact, I, I, I'm quite sure that most Christians don't even believe this. And this, these are the words of Jesus. And we believe this because it's, it's from this that Jesus began to reveal, from this standpoint, uh, revelation of the gospel of grace to the Apostle Paul, who brought the gospel to us Gentiles. And uh, we're going to start in verse 37. just want to read a few verses to you today and get some truths to you. Are you ready? Yeah. Verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I will... Under no circumstances, for any reason, by no means, cast out. Now, that's, that's an amazing thing, because you think about the worst, your worst circumstance, you know? And yet Jesus gives this promise that this truth is still there whether you believe it or not. It's yeah. still true. Yeah. I will by no means, under no circumstances, Cast out those whom the Father gives me. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he said, I will by no means cast out all that the Father gives me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And then he says, for, or because, I'm not here to do my will, I'm here to do the Father's will. So what is the Father's will? The Father's will is that he lose no one. That's the Father's will. And he goes on to say in verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
Sad, sadly enough, many, many believers, many children of God think that this last day, you know, them being raised from the dead and going to heaven is kind of a coin toss based on their performance of good, uh, whether they do good or, or not, when really that power is only kept in Jesus' power. He is the only one who is able to keep you. You can't keep yours. He's the only one. And you are firmly, firmly in his beautiful grasp of grace. The body of Christ, made up of believers, is God's gift to his son. The church, this church, actually is God's way of rewarding his own son. Isn't that a marvelous yeah. thought? Amen. All of you sitting here today are yeah. gifts to Jesus from God. You know, and it's important that we see ourselves in a more worthy manner than we do. And also to see those that are sitting next to us today in the same way. In a more worthy manner. Paul said that we don't regard anyone according to the flesh any longer. Now we see the beauty of the body. Now we see the beauty of the household of faith. That we're all even. That we're all in dire need of his grace. No matter where we come from, no matter what we've done, we all still need Jesus. That's our common, our common factor. That, that's the thing that bonds us, that brings us all together, is that we all need Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The word says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free any longer, but you're all one in Christ today. Yeah. All one. Amen. So it's important that we see ourselves that way. I've got just yeah. three things I want to get to you today before we leave from this passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus sees you Jesus sees you as a gift from his Father. It's important for you to know that. He sees you as a gift from his Father. Number two, Jesus will never cast you out. Number three, Jesus never loses. He never loses. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Maybe some of you experienced this over this past Christmas, but I've had Christmases where I received gifts from relatives very well-meaning, loving relatives, that they thought I would like it because they liked it. You know what I'm talking about? So because they love you and, you know, anybody else have that aunt or great uncle or grandmother or something, just doesn't quite ever get it right, you know, but they're well-meaning. <laughs> but I... My parents have come to learn over the years, just give me money. That's all I want. Because with money, I can buy whatever I want. You know, and as a preacher, I'm after money anyway, right? So I, just give me money. They learned that a long time ago. So they stopped trying to guess what we wanted. My parents just started putting cash in an envelope. That's the best Christmas ever. I mean, am I right? I, get, I, I can buy now what I want. See, Jesus was given you as a gift from his father, not so that God could give him a bunch of troubled people, a bunch of troubling little brothers and sisters. No, Jesus gave you to Jesus because he, uh, G God gave you to Jesus, I should say, because he knew that's what Jesus wanted. Yeah. You're what yeah. Jesus wanted. So the father gave his son what he wanted, and he wanted you. Yeah. He wanted you. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said it like this, speaking for Jesus, ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance. See, that's Jesus' prayer. That was his prayer. Ask of me. The father told, was telling Jesus, I should say, and I will give the nations. And that's exactly what he did. 
He gave him all of us. Uh, if, if you want to ever do research on this group of people, they're called the Moravians. You may have ever heard of the Moravian missionaries. Marvelous people. Um, they were sold out to missions in this way. Uh, there's a story about this farmer. This isn't a joke. This one's not a joke. There's a story about this Moravian farmer who um, one day was out building something with his hammer, and, and he laid his hammer down and went into his house, packed a little bag, and told his family, I go to the field, and just left. And for eight years, this man was gone. Eight years later, he shows back up at his house, goes back over to his hammer, picks it up, and gets to work again. They just had this impulse about them. When they believed that the Holy Spirit spoke to them to go you know, preach the gospel somewhere, they just did it. They would just abandon everything and just go do it. Just a, a marvelous, marvelous people. Uh, the greatest missionaries of the, the past two centuries. But they had this cry. They had this this mantra, if you will, that, that, that bound them all together, this cause, and it was this. <clears throat> we are here to gain for the Lamb the prize worthy of His sufferings. Now, that's a marvelous cause, isn't it? We're here to gain for the Lamb the prize worthy of His sufferings because, you know, we can have all kinds of various reasons of why we need to witness or why we do witness. You know, one, one, one common phrase is, we're here to win souls. Uh, yeah, okay, or we're here to save people from hell. Well, I can't save anybody from hell. You can't save anybody from hell. Only Jesus could do that. Really, actually, the message is they don't have to go because Jesus made a way. Jesus provided, this is the good news of the gospel. Hallelujah. Not to go tell the sinner how sinful they are, but to tell them how wonderful our Savior is. All right? And that there's life, and life evermore freely given to all those who believe on him, who receive his love and receive his grace and believe the fact that he died for your sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried in a tomb and God raised him from the dead on the third day. That's the simple news. Whoever believes that will live forever. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that marvelous? It's so simple and so profound. It's so good. Why is the church screwing it up so much? We're making about all these religious things, all these, these loopholes and all this garbage. When it's, it's Christ and him crucified. Risen again, believe on him. Amen. Amen. It's the greatest message that's ever come to man's ears. And so, but they had this call, gaining for the lamb, the prize that's worthy of his sacrifice, you know. I've heard people pray this prayer, and I've probably prayed it myself. God, give me a heart for the sinner. Oh, Lord, break my heart for the lost. I hear all those kinds of things. But, you know, really, how long does that last? Right? You might get enough, muster up enough courage to go tell somebody about Jesus, but then you're like, okay, all right, I'm done. Right? The motivation is just, it's just not really there because that's not really what we're designed to do, my family. God so loved the world. God's love, not your love. It's His love. So then we carry a message then of love. Not because we love the sinner or the, those that we, No, we do this because we love Jesus. We don't do this because we need to go witness. We should go tell somebody about No, we do this because we want to gain for the lamb the prize that's worthy of his sufferings. Yeah. We need to see this world as, as little rewards. It's one more reward for him. Right. One more reward for him to receive for his great sacrifice and his love for us. Amen. Can I get a good amen this morning? Yeah. And see, your yeah. love for Jesus will keep you consistent in your witness. Just stay in love with Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Just love him. 
And you will be an effective witness. It's an expression of your love for the Lord. Jesus sees you. He sees the world, sees all of us as individuals, as gifts from God. You know what's marvelous about that? Because when you read about the gifts of God, Romans chapter 11 and verse 29 says, for all the gifts and callings of God are irreversible. Or one version says, without repentance, it means without changing his mind. He'll never change his mind about it. He gives a gift. He doesn't take that. There are no strings attached to that gift. Amen. Right? He gives a gift. He freely gives it. Yeah. And if you want it, you can yeah. receive it. But there are no strings attached to it. That's what I love. About it. Religion has all these strings. No, 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 no. Shine all that. Just simply believe him. Receive this great gift. Right. And you, as the scripture says, you, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me. So think about that for a moment. If he gave you to Jesus, you're irreversible. It cannot be reversed. It's done. It's settled. It's established. You know, Jesus said, no one can snatch them from my hand. Nobody. Because this grip of grace exceeds way beyond your sin. Because his grace really is greater than our sin. If it's not, we're hopeless anyway, right? Yeah. Amen. I wish y'all had calmed down a little bit. <laughs> Let's look back over at verse 37. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The second thought is Jesus will never cast you out. Because the truth is, he doesn't see you like a demon. He casts out devils, but he sets the man free. You know, over in Numbers, uh, we've talked about this story before, but there's a, there's a scripture that we hear often in church, and it says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken it, and shall he not make it good? In other words, he's going to tell the truth every time. He'll never lie. Men are subject to lie, but not God. He's not like that. And God... That was a, an actual false prophet, a soothsayer, if you will, who actually said those words. Because he had been hired, his name was Balaam, and he was hired by the Moabites, Moabite nation, uh, to come uh, and, and pronounce a curse over Israel. Because they realized in warfare, they couldn't beat them. But they thought if they could, if they could pronounce a curse over them, then that would weaken them, then they could take advantage of it. So he wanted this, they wanted this Balaam to come and speak a curse. Well, God had already apprehended Balaam. You know the story about the talking donkey, right? So Balaam shows up here, and he says, I'm not saying anything unless only what God puts in my mouth. This king said, fine. So they go through this whole rigmarole of doing all these sacrifices and stuff, and finally he stands up, and he looks out over Israel, and, he, and, and he's supposed to do what? He's supposed to curse him, because that's what he's been hearted, and all that can come out of his mouth is blessing. And one of the things that he says is, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man. Has he said it, shall he not do? In one place he even said, God has blessed them, and I can't reverse it. There's nothing I can do about it. So this king of Moab is going nuts. He said, I heard you to come out here and curse him. Four different times he, he, he sets this whole thing up to get Balaam to curse him, and every time it's blessing that comes out of him. And one of the things that Balaam says, by, by, being apprehended by the Lord, he says, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, or he has not seen the sins of Israel. Whoa, now that's an interesting thing, because if you read a couple of chapters earlier in Numbers, you find, or, uh, yeah, you find that God sees all kinds of iniquity amongst Israel. Matter of fact, they are at their most rebellious point in history at this point, at this time. All right? 
and, and they're complaining and they're murmuring against God and, and all this stuff's happening. And, but now, now the false prophet has something to say and God will not let him say what we would say as the truth. He says he hasn't observed iniquity. There's something about family, isn't there? Isn't there something about family? Me and my brother, we were growing up, we fought like crazy. We're just a year apart, and we fought, it seemed like every day of our our boyhood. Always finding some reason to fight. It didn't take much reason. And we did that all the time. But if somebody else picked on my brother, I was coming to his defense no matter what. I can beat him up, but you can't beat him up. You keep your hands off of him. Something about that. And when God sees his covenanted people out there, they're his own, he can't help but defend them. Because when the false prophet stands up to speak against them, he just won't allow it. If anybody's going to observe iniquity in them, it's only God, not the false prophet, not those on the outside. This is how loved that you are, that God sees you in such a way that he sees you as his children. He doesn't see you as employees. He doesn't see you as slaves, that people that need to do right. No, he sees you as his beloved children. Hallelujah. And for that very purpose, he'll never cast you out. He'll never throw you out of his family. Amen. Jesus said, I will by no means, under any circumstances, I will not cast them out. You know, because your sonship and your place in the family of God is not measured by your performance. You didn't perform to become your parents' child. You were born into that family. Hmm? I'm grateful that when I was growing up, growing up in a a pastor's home, that my dad didn't dangle me and my brother and sister over hell to try to make us live right. I'm really grateful for that. He just taught us about the love and grace of God, and that made me want to serve God. That made me want to do something in response to God's love for me. I didn't want to just go do whatever I wanted to. Well, once in a while, yeah. I mean, I was a teenager once, but you know what I mean? Overall, though, in the, in the, long, in the long run, it was God's love that has kept me in the house of God. Yeah. It's kept me pursuing yeah. Him. It's kept me wanting to do something yeah. for Him out of my love for His love. Um, I just appreciate and I had, I had friends who were pastor's son, not this one. Uh, he's also a pastor's kid. That, that their parents dangled them over hell all the time. You know, and guess what? They didn't live for God. You know, it's like, really? If this is how it's going to be, then if I'm going to hell, then I'm going to have fun on my way there. Say this, I'm God's gift. Turn to somebody and tell them, you're God's gift. No matter what, no matter what your, your, your faults, no matter what your failings, no matter what the mistakes that you've made, God loves you. Yeah. And he's not throwing you out. My grandfather was a truck driver, my dad's dad, and, and when he was in his 20s, he, he came to the Lord, came to know the Lord, and he took my grandmother, or started taking my grandmother to church. Now, she was raised Methodist, and uh, she, <coughs> she was born again as a child, but she didn't know anything about this Holy Ghost stuff, you know, where they talk in tongues, and where they believe in miracles, and all those gifts and all that kind of stuff. Well, he took, Grandpa started taking her to this little Pentecostal church. And uh, my grandmother needed help because she, well, she was crazy. She had some, 
she had some issues. Um, she would tell you that she was standing here today. Uh, and she, but she got exposed to the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues, and then crazy went crazier. But it was a good kind of crazy, crazy for God. I'm telling my grandmother, she'll tell anybody about Jesus at any moment. She don't care where or who they are. It, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Uh, I, I might have told you, that we came over to visit them one day, and we, we were living out in San Angelo at the time, and so we drove out to Oklahoma to see them, and my grandmother was on the phone. And she was on the phone for like 45 minutes, you know, and just talking about Jesus and God's love and all this kind of stuff. And my dad, after she hangs up, he said, Mama, who in the world were you talking to? She says, you know, I don't know. It was the wrong number. That's just how she is. She'd just tell anybody. If she's got some ears, she's going to find them. It's just how she is. I love her for that. Very blunt. <clears throat> but my grandmother just, just got into the things of the Spirit and just, you know, marvelous things were happening and great woman of prayer. And, but somewhere along the way through those years, my grandfather started to fade out of the picture of church. And his attendance became more sporadic. And then before long, he was completely out. And he was just working, working on the weekends. And they had had a, they had a son at that time, my Uncle Tony, who's six years older than my grandfather. And then my dad was born. And so many times as he was growing up, it was just him and my grandmother going to church. And when he turned 12 years of age, he came down with a really bad fever. And they couldn't seem to, to lick the fever. So they ended up taking dad to the hospital. And they were doing everything they could to get this fever down. But it was at very dangerous uh, levels and, and finally they diagnosed him with pancreatitis. Um, and so his, his life was hanging in the balance for, there for a little while. And, and uh, my grandfather, though he was away from God and, and uh, not pursuing the things of the Lord, he, he walked in my dad's uh, hospital room one evening and, and he knelt down by my dad's bed and he said, John, you, you want to pray? And my dad said, sure, dad, I want to pray. And so he said, my grandfather knelt there and just cried. Just cried to the Lord and asked Jesus to heal him. And he left the room. My dad went to sleep that night. And when he woke up the next morning, he was totally healed. God. And very hungry. Was Praise ready to eat. God. And so they gave him food. And he was out of the hospital like that. And he had never had one more issue with that. Praise. Well, that did something to my grandfather. He, he knew that God had done something. You know, even though... He didn't feel worthy because of his lifestyle. He saw God's grace in his life. He saw that God was merciful and that God intervened in their situation. And so he didn't immediately start coming back to church, but it, he did begin to take incremental steps back towards the Lord. And a few years go by, and he was, he was driving a milk truck, um, and he had parked at a dairy to get the truck filled up. And while he was sitting in the cab, he fell asleep, and he dreamed a dream. In the dream, he was walking down this road with a curb next to his feet. And as he walked, he noticed that the curb got higher and higher and higher next to him. He couldn't see that the road that he was walking on was actually going downward. He just saw that the curb was rising. And when the curb got about to eye level or a little above, he could stand on his toes and see over. And when he, when he went to look over the curb, there were a pair of sandals there. And in those sandals were feet. And as he looked up higher, he noticed that it was Jesus in the dream. And he said, Jesus just simply reached his hand down and said, come up here with me, James. And so Grandpa reached up, took Jesus by the hand, and he just immediately pulled him up, and he was standing next to him, and then he woke up. And then Grandpa really woke up. 
And he realized that he needed to get back to where he knew he should be. And I thought it was interesting that Jesus didn't tell him that, you know, he was living a terrible life and he needed to repent of all this. He just said, come up here with me. And that changed my grandfather from that day forward. He started coming back to church and started serving in the church, became an elder in the church. And lo and behold, he started preaching. Now, he didn't preach in churches, but he started going to the jails and preaching, which was a huge thing for my grandfather because he was a raging racist and bigot for many, many years. And for him to go to the jails and preach to, to others, especially those who have a brother from another mother, well, it just... It was, that in, alone, in itself alone was a miracle. I mean, it was really a miracle. And so he, one particular day, he was in this, uh, walking through the jail, and he sees a young Mexican man sitting on a chair just with his head down. And my grandpa approached the cell, and he said, would you like to, to talk with me for a little bit? And, and the young man said, you don't want to talk to me. He just kept his head down, never looked up at grandpa. You don't want to talk to me? He said, well, why wouldn't want I talk to you? And he said, because I'm just an old wetback. You ain't got time for me. And my grandfather said, that's okay, boy. We all, at times in our life, have got our backs wet. <laughs> and the young man looked at him and smiled and said, what do you have to say? <laughs> in the next few minutes, my grandfather led that young man to Jesus. And it was such a powerful moment for that young man that my grandfather comes back a week later to do his, his rounds again to preach. And the other, <laughs> the other imprisoned came to my grandfather and said, you have to get that guy out of here. He said, why? They said, because he's, he's only talking about Jesus. It's Jesus that is Jesus that. You've made him a crazy man. You have to get him. Can you, do, can you get him out of here? And grandfather, of course I can't get him out of here. But time did go by and the guy did get out of jail. And that, that young man was so eaten up with Christ in his life, that he started a church there in Love County, Oklahoma. And to this day, as far as I know, he's still pastoring that little congregation. <laughs> who knew that God could speak to a man who was so far away and, would, and, and, and that God could use that man in such a mighty way for a miracle for a son only to capture that man's heart to bring him into this purpose in the earth. Listen to me. Your faults and your failures... Do not determine your belonging in the house of God, in the family of God. Jesus won't let you go no matter how stupid you act. Amen. I'm grateful to God for that today. Amen. He's the one that's keeping you. He's the one that's holding you. See, with that understanding, that doesn't make us go want to go just fail all the time. I mean, I don't think any of you woke up this morning thinking, you know what, today I'm going to jack my life up. I don't think really anybody really begins their day like that. But it's good to know that we're children of God because He made us children. We could not make ourselves yeah. as children. Yeah. Amen. So my family, we make ourselves disciples. Yeah. Never confuse sonship with discipleship. God makes you a son. You make yourself a disciple. Yeah. All right? Praise. What kind of follower do you want to be? Praise. Because that also reaps rewards. Yeah. Not heaven. Jesus already won heaven for you. 
but there are rewards to be gained. Yeah. And lastly, this last thought, look at verse 39. I mean, really, is anybody in a hurry to go watch the Cowboys play? Okay. Sorry, Pearl, wherever you are. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, <clears throat> that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Jesus never loses. Say that, Jesus never loses. Because what he's really saying here is I'm keeping you till the end. I'm taking you all the way to heaven. Oh, that's good news. I was telling the earlier service this Hiram approached his friend Levi and told Levi, he said, Levi, I'm troubled. I don't know what to do. My son has become a Christian. And Levi said, really? Well, Hiram, that's interesting. For my son has also become a Christian. Maybe we should go see the rabbi about this. So Hiram and Levi went to see the rabbi. And they told the rabbi their plight, as Levi said. Hiram, his son, has become a Christian. And my son has become a Christian. And the rabbi said, interesting you should say that. My son has become a Christian. Perhaps we should go to God about this. And so they prayed. And the rabbi said, God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we ask you for your help. Levi's son has become a Christian. Hiram's son has become a Christian. Even my son has become a Christian. What shall we do? And God spoke back and he said, hmm, Levi's son has become a Christian. Hiram's son has become a Christian. And you, the rabbi's son, has become a Christian. Now that you mention it. <laughs> you, Jesus can't lose. Jesus won't lose which means you won't lose. Because whatever he has, you have. Are you hearing me today? Whatever victory he has, you have that same victory. Why did he come and die? For you. He died and you died. He was buried, so were you. He was raised from the dead, so were you. He ascended to the Father's right hand, so will you. Everything he did, he did for you, showing you what your life would be like. Oh, this is good. He can't lose, so you can't lose. You always win with him. Yeah. Amen. Glory to God. Nick Gathers is a missionary in Mexico, and I'll come close to finishing with this. Nick, Nick Gathers is a missionary in Mexico, and uh, <clears throat> he was robbed. No, not, 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 he wasn't in Mexico. He was in Guatemala at this time. He was robbed by these men, um, and... He, he had a habit of keeping some of his, some of his money in his shoes. And so, uh, actually most of his money. So they robbed him what was in his wallet and they took some of the things from his car and, and, and were leaving. And Nick said, the strangest thing happened to me. The Lord spoke to me and says, you didn't give them the money in your shoe. And he said, are you serious? <laughs> well, that's, that was on purpose, God. And he said, well, you told them that you, that's, that's everything you had, and that's not everything you have. You need to give them everything that you have. So here's Nick running after the guys that just stole from him, 
pulling off his shoe, taking out the wad of cash that he has there, and says, that wasn't everything I had. And he gives them the cash. And they go running off. Only a short time later to be apprehended by the police. All right? I mean, just, just a few minutes later. They, the police come back, and they, they, they come to Nick's place, and <clears throat> they said, were you, were you robbed by those, these men? They, he said, yes, I was. They said, well, you were one of many. They've been robbing people all day long. And so they had all of this cash. These guys had taken all this cash from people, and so they just started dumping all this cash on Nick's floor. And Nick said, well, no, no, that's not, that's not mine. That, that, I mean, I had some of that, but that's, not, that, that's other people's. And the police said, well, it's all yours now. And they gave him every bit of the money that had been stolen from all around the city that day. You can't lose. Jesus don't lose, you don't lose. God is on your side. Now, however he's got to help you, he will help you. The scripture says that he gives you the victory, gives it to you, gives you. The scripture also says that Jesus always leads us in triumph. Why? Because he can't lose, and if he can't lose, he never loses, no matter what. You know what? Let me just say this. Whatever you may have lost, and some of you have lost, maybe this past year lost a loved one, lost a job, Lost finances. Lost health. Just put it in the hands of him who doesn't lose. And let Jesus do what only he can do for you. Because he can do things that we cannot. He sees ways that we don't see. And he knows things we don't know. And he's there to help you in your very time of need. And not only take what has been lost, but he can restore it all back again to where it seems like you never lost. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Anybody believe that today? That that he is a miracle-working God and that he is on your side and that he loves you so dearly and he's not letting you go ever, 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 ever. And in the end, my family, we really get it all back anyway. He is going to restore all things. He's going to make all things new. If we don't see it here on earth, we'll certainly see it in glory. No doubt about it. In the end, you win every time. Why? Because Jesus never loses. And whatever the Father gives him, it's for good. And he gave you to him. So get comfortable being a child of God and be secure today. Be blessed and be filled with that glorious revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.